Now, is this new love of snaps because you are having a problem with ruining shirts with buttons because just women just could not, they couldn't contain themselves and they were just like ripping off your clothes? It is. It is. That's the reason why. That makes sense. It's been a big, it's been a big problem and I'm, and I'm, (laughs) I'm trying to be more financially responsible. Create for No Reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life. Kate, who do we have on the show today? Today's episode. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about our guest today. Okay, so I've known Frank McKenney for a while, and he is a really interesting human. He is a true modern day Renaissance man for real. And he has pushed the limits of success in every endeavor. He is a really successful human just in everything that he does. He is, um, as a real estate artist, he's called a real estate artist, which is the best name. He's created and sold 44 oceanfront mansions on spec with an average price of $14 million. And as a philanthro capitalist, which I love philanthro capitalist, He has built 29 self-sustaining villages over the last 19 years in Haiti, providing over 13,000 children and their families with homes and schools and clinics and community centers and churches and renewable food and clean water. And that's incredible. Um, And as with all of his books, Frank wrote his latest bestseller. It's called Aspire. And he wrote this book in his Delray Beach oceanfront treehouse. He literally works out of a treehouse. It's amazing. And he is a really wonderful human and he values creativity. And I'm excited to have this conversation with him today. And here he goes. Hey. Hey, right there on. There he is. Uh, nice. Very cool. Good. I was ex- I'm excited to meet you because uh, uh, like candidly, uh, I was asking Kate about you and she kept saying like, no, he's like a... He's like a rocker. He's got purple hair. It's going to be like, really, it was great. So then now that I get to see it, it's even better. There it is. Well, I got to get yeah. the right light on it so we get it right. <laughs> yeah, right on. Wait, 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 we want to keep going or you want to start? Yeah, off? let's keep going. Because so, so Sean, Frank's telling us how he consumes books. And I find it fascinating. And he was, he's reading the book Awareness. Have you read it? No, no. Who's the writer? Oh. Yeah, so I'll give you a lead into awareness. So, so about... 10 or 15 years ago, I like reading philosophy. I love reading philosophy. My first book, Make It Big, is more of a philosophical book than it is a real estate book. And so I was turned on to DeMello. I forget who turned me on to Anthony DeMello is his name. Yeah, I he know was, Anthony DeMello for he sure. Did, you know, yeah, his background, yeah. He was a, 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 a Jesuit priest, but more of a philosopher. The book is not a Bible in your face, pound on the pulpit kind of book. So... I've known so many of my friends and acquaintances that that get off on the number of pages they read either a day or in a year. So let's say, you know, you came up to me, Sean, and said, hey, Frank, last year I read 50 books. And they weren't fiction. They were nonfiction. And Sean's still the same guy. So if we're reading to just consume, as you just said, Kate, I don't read to consume. I read to alter my DNA. I read to make an an effective change by either redirecting a tendency or reigniting another one. So with, with awareness, I read it more than 10 years ago and I realized what an impact it had. So I brought, I broke it out. I actually had to buy a new one. So I lost it. And I've, I'm on my sixth read because as Kate was saying, it's such a deep book that I read it once slowly, read it again, slowly, read it a third time, started to underline, read it a fourth time, underlined everything that meant something to me. The fifth time through, I took what I underlined and put it into my journal. And then the sixth time, I read what I underlined while going back to the book and reading the context on either side of what I had pulled out and put in my journal. So by then, I feel, at least the way I absorb information that I want to actually share or have radiate from my aura I feel like it's made it's it's now making an impact so 
you know, any organization or any person that says, I have a goal of reading a book a month or a book a week, you got to step back and ask yourself, what are you doing with all the information if it's not fiction? Yeah. But what about your, what are your thoughts on if you're reading that many books? I consume a lot of books, but I look at that. I look at it as like, if I'm listening, if I'm at the gym and I listen to an audiobook or something, like I'm very particular with which books I decide to consume at what time, like a book, like awareness, I'm consuming that when I'm sitting and I can write and highlight and really, really think. But if I'm at the gym and I'm reading and listening to a book that I feel like maybe I don't, I can't be as active because I'm being active physically instead of like mentally, but I still think there's value in kind of hearing certain things. And then if I want to go back to them, um, so I think there's like a, there's like different ways to consume books or even books that maybe I've read in the past that are nonfiction that I'll sometimes pick up and you just kind of flip through. I love that when you just kind of flip through a book and you find, oh, I just need a little inspiration. Yep. So what, what's happening there is you're stimulating the synapses in a way that if you're in the gym, you're, you have external stimuli, so what's happening around you, and then you have internal stimuli, what's happening inside your head. I'll use my training for the ultra marathon that I run as an example. So I run a, a, a race called the Badwater 135-mile ultra marathon, which is the toughest foot race in the world, according to National Geographic. It runs through the Death Valley Desert from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere at 282 feet below sea level, all the way to the base of the highest mountain in the United States through the desert in July. So the daytime temperature is 125 degrees. The pavement's over 200 degrees. You have to what run on the white line. Run on the white line. All right, you've read that. Yes. Oh, no, I, I like I ultra runner myself. Never bad okay. water. Okay. I'm very you know, familiar with it. Line. I love that you do it. Like I, as soon as you said you've run it, I'm like, oh man, he's training with a dryer in his basement. Like, yeah. No, that's, actually I'm training yeah. in a sauna that has a treadmill inside. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. we'll go into that in a minute back to the book so i have a choice you i put in i put in i actually my knees have thirty-five thousand miles on them, training miles kate i choose not rarely to use external stimuli when i'm out on the road or on the treadmill i'm trying to be i'm sorry i don't use external yes i look i look with my internal stimuli out over the ocean trying to be present mm. on the treadmill when I'm in the gym or when I'm on the road. So that's where you and I are just wired differently. So when I read, I'm mostly sitting down and doing just that without trying to do anything else. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I, I think there's a lot of benefit to that because sometimes I think with consuming so much all the time and it just being kind of a constant, I think it, it, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to have that much feedback constantly get like putting in to your mind throughout it, the day. It's it, in not a bad way. And, and I'm not indicting this, but it's, it's another form of addiction because you've trained your brain to need that much stimuli. And without it, I, I would love to be in that room and take all the stuff away. And you and I not have to talk, like we're not allowed to talk and just watch what you did with your body language. Is your, is your mind, is your mind still, you know, so stimulated, it needs to be so stimulated. And, and that, that, listen, you, I've got some years on you. That was me a while ago, not long ago. Now I've learned, I've trained myself to be much more aware without the need for external stimuli. Oh, show me your ways, Frank. I know, I, mean, I listen. It's like, I want <laughs> Frank, I love, I, 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 Ooh, I love Aspire. you. Oh, Aspire. So Aspire is Frank's new book. By the way, Sean, I don't know if you noticed, but Frank is sitting in a treehouse. His office is in a treehouse. Fantastic. Well, listen, he's in a treehouse and he reads DeMello. I assume he's probably read Watts. I assume he probably like absorbs all this stuff. Like, like DeMello, DeMello changed my life. I didn't even read it. I like, uh, I was just watching him. I mean, a, an Indian priest. And then there's even, Kate, you'll love this. There's even like uh, kind of conspiracy theories around there. Like, listen, Demilla didn't just die. Like, 
this guy, I mean, because of what he was talking about and what he was saying, it was so liberating outside of the here play by these rules. Like it was a, it, and it's not, it's not a, it's not a, Hey, go crazy pants and hedonism either. It's just the, 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 it's, it's, it's really wonderful. I read that. And then, um, Oh, I forgot the other uh, Emmett Fox sermon on the Mount around the same time. And those things just, it's it, from a, coming from a religious background, but, but thinking I was always like on the peripheral or like my tuner wasn't working right. Those are wonderful philosophical books. They're just great. I love that you've read. I love that you've read. I mean, the, you know, the whole thesis with awareness is basically Christ was one of the most aware people ever in the history of history. And DeMello doesn't slam dogma down your throat and sharing mm -hmm. it. You wouldn't know he was a Jesuit priest. No. And I'm a Catholic. I'm a practicing Catholic, you know, and I didn't pick it up for the religious aspect. If anything, I got more out of my religion after I read his book. Yeah. I love this. I love that the, both of you have been been talking about this. And Kate, you and I have talked about this recently too, that when you're, you're constantly like, uh, uh, let me back up. You mentioned addiction. And so addiction oftentimes is that you're just trying to fill a void, fill a void, fill a void, fill a void. Like I can't sit by myself. So I'll do anything. So I don't have to sit and feel my feelings and do whatever it is that's going on with it. And, and it's the void is so big that you're never going to be able to fill it. Like you could just keep reading and reading and reading and reading is so it's like a, it's like a smart person version. You know, like Kate, like nobody, I would never say to you like, Oh, Kate, you, 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 you read a lot. Oh, that might, that, that probably means there's something, something wrong going on or something. But if you were like, if you were like, I was reading tonight, right. That's right. If you're like, I can't stop watching Family Guy and Rick and Morty and, and I'm like staying up late watching Netflix all the time, I'll be like, that's more like, okay, you've got an issue. But if you're like, oh yeah, I'm plowing through my third self-help book this week. You're like, what did you learn? You know, like, let's find out what's going on. Well, what you learn is different than what you implement. I can learn a ton, but what good is it if I don't implement it, if I choose to implement it? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so, you know, addiction I have, and I've been diagnosed with by my therapist as having an addictive personality. And when I was younger, that addictive personality found a destructive outlet. I was in juvenile detention seven times. I went to four high schools in four years, moved India, moved from Indiana to Florida with 50 bucks and a one-way plane ticket because my parents didn't want me to come back. And had I not found a constructive outlet for a destructive tendency found in addiction and addictive uh, personality, I would be dead. So, so for me, what I do for a living, create these oceanfront mansions on speculation, not knowing if I'm gonna be eating at the Ritz Carlton or out of a dumpster, you better believe that it's like a main line of excitement for me. <laughs> I, I know that I'm alive every single day. Now I've lived that way for 30 years. So having found a constructive outlet for my addictive personality, yes, it saved my life, but it still leaves me with an addictive personality. Mm. So any kind of attachment, any kind of attachment is a form of addiction. And so for me, I'm just trying to, as I've built my last masterpiece and I'm writing my seventh book, which I love writing now, I'm really focused on, okay, Frank, we know you have an addictive personality. If you're not careful, it will find a destructive outlet because it, it has reared its head in my adulthood as well. What, what is it that the thrill is providing you? Because it's the thrill that I'm seeking, but it's the thrill when it wears off that provides the depression and the anxiety <laughs> and the need for another hit in the arm. Oh God, it only took me 30 years to figure that, you know, figure that out. So I don't deny in my book, I talk about redirecting a destructive tendency into something positive. And so I have this thesis, this belief that we don't change. Matter of fact, Kate, you, no matter how many books you read, according to Freud and other noted psychiatrists, Kate Volman is or was who she was who she is from the age of three, according to Freud, and 12, based upon other psychiatrists. So your core person is formed, so we're not, you're not changing. You are not changing. If there's anything inside that, let's say it's that need to you know, 
read a lot of books, which is, this isn't pick on Kate for reading night. Is to, <laughs> is, is to find an outlet for that because the moment you try to change that, you're going to become very frustrated because you're not going to, nobody listening to this is, unless you're younger than 12, is ever going to change. You're just going to find a way to redirect or rewire or even reignite some things that are inside that'll allow you to be who you are. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting and totally makes sense. Because even as you're talking, I'm thinking I go through uh, phases of where I'm, co I'm consuming a lot. Like I've definitely consumed a lot, but now I'm more in a phase of creating. I've definitely, I have this whole new I, outlook on create before you consume, create, write, do your own thing. Like stop just consuming other people's content. Like it's your time to, to really, but it's, but you're right because the time that I was spending on consuming, now I'm focusing all my attention on creation and what that looks like and what I want to put out into the world. And, and, and so it's, it's got to go somewhere. And I don't, I was not diagnosed, but I definitely feel like I have a very addictive personality. And fortunately for me, I had, I never fell into something that was not, well, you know, I say it's not good for me, but I definitely do things that may not be healthy on one side of it. But, but again, this isn't my therapy session. I want to talk about you. Oh, no, this is, look, at, look, look at you go. Okay. That's, uh... Frank, I have, I was so excited to, to talk to Frank on the show because I've been watching you and we've been friends for a while. I don't even know how long. I don't even remember how we first met, to be honest, but you're so interesting. You're so creative. Your drive to just give and, and create and just do the, like, I look at you, I'm like, Frank does, you create so many things that you love. Like you have such passion for your life and the world and just helping people and just your philanthropic endeavors and your businesses. And, and really, I mean, even just like how you are with people, it's just, and with your wife, like you're just a really wonderful, <laughs> you're a really wonderful human. So I would, I want to talk about what, how did you find that constructive way to really use your creativity? Cause you obviously have so much of it. So the subtitle of my book, my seventh book, my, the title is Aspire. And I want to talk about the difference between motivation, inspiration, and aspiration in a minute. But the subtitle is how to create your own reality and alter your DNA. So working from a tree house, uh, building and designing spec houses that sell for an average of $14 million, and we've done 44 of them. Writing the seven books with six different genres, you know, running that ultra marathon. I'm not dead yet, Kate, but this book is kind of a, a post-mortem on how I created my own reality, the things I used to do it. And in turn, I know for a fact, I altered my DNA. Now, epigenetics is the study of the altering of your own DNA. This is not a science book. I only introduce epigenetics because people will need to hang on to something that says this isn't just Frank's opinion. So it's possible to alter your DNA. But I'm not a movie buff, but there's a line from the movie Rocket Man, which was the story of the making of Elton John. Elton John was born Reginald Dwight. And during that movie, his manager turned to him and said, you have to kill the person you were born to be to become the person you want to be. So most people think I'm going to become the person I was born to be. I was born to be a banker. My father was a banker. My grandfather was a banker. I was supposed to be a banker. When I left Indiana, I killed that person. I killed little Mickey McKinney and I became Francis Edward McKinney III, ultimately Frank McKinney, because I wanted to put to death something that was expected of me from birth. And, and so what, I, I went to these four high schools in, in four years and I never had a chance to get a formal education. So the reality that I created allowed me to take advantage of my, my professional highest calling that God gave me, which is the, to design and market and sell these houses. What about that spiritual highest calling? You know, eventually I found that with building the villages in Haiti. 
So it's kind of sad to me today, especially today, Kate, to see how other people allow outside influences to create their reality for them. Mm. Be it the, well, I call it the three screens, the little screen, which is your phone, the medium-sized screen, which is what we're looking at, and the big screen, which is your television. And it's a travesty. I mean, it's tragic to see people adopting concepts and beliefs and conventions that they have no idea where they originate from, yet they absorb them and make them part of themselves. The identity has been lost. And so, you know, I look back and I think, man, and you've seen some of the houses we've designed. I mean, they're stunning. Yeah. That, that I, I always wanted to be an artist. Like I always wanted to paint or sculpt or sing or play an instrument. So that was inside me. But being brought up in a banking family, I was pure left brain. I was pure. When I came to Florida, I didn't have a creative bone in my body because my parents and my teachers, and the same thing happened to you, you were told you're either a creative left, uh, right brain or you're a statistical analytical left brainer. That's bullshit. That's, that, that dialogue needs to stop because when I landed here and for a decade, I believed that's all I was good at was number crunching. And I said, I don't want that. It took me 10 years to reawaken the right side of my brain, the synapses in the creative side of the brain to where I can create the houses and the books and the charity that we run. Now, Kate, the key though, the people that you look up to the most are able to toggle back and forth between right brain and left brain in nanoseconds. So when I look at a piece of property, a, a vacant piece of property or a teardown on the ocean, I have to, within milliseconds, decide, okay, here's the design I'm going to do, but am I going to make money at it? Because there's enough starting, starving artists out there. I don't want to be a starving real estate artist. That practice of toggling between right, right, like you just said, I was absorbing other people's content. I was on Clubhouse a lot, but I wasn't monetizing any of it. So, okay, well, you're being creative and you're, you're using other people's stuff, but, but what are you doing to monetize that? Like, we got to put food on the table. So, so that, is, that was so liberating to know, yes, I could be an, a real estate artist. And that's what the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and you know, all these other, USA Today, called me a real estate artist, but to know that I didn't have to sit on the, you know, the, the bread line or, or sit as a starving artist was the most liberating thing that ever happened to me. Wow. I love that you bring that up about the, the being able to switch like in the nanosecond and, and, and artists, writers, there's a really great book. Um, Dorothea is her first name. I can't remember her last name. It was um, on becoming a writer and half of the book Half of the book is, is, is about like, yeah, yeah, writing, have a daily practice, make sure you use your creativity, everything else. And the other half of the book is that's a business. Like if, if, if you want to write and you want people to read what you write, that's a business. Like you might think like, oh, I'm just going to be uh, you know, off in the ether creating whatever it is. And, and it was written in like 1930s. I mean, it's, it, but it's one of those books where it says you've got to get good at doing both of these things. This is what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, every book, the four corners of this book is a business. And, and, and you know, tomorrow there'll be over 2,000 new titles that weren't out today. That's what I'm competing against. Mm -hmm. So I have to believe that from the marketing side and the monetization side, that if I sold a book called Aspire, How to Create Your Own Reality and Alter Your DNA, that every single page in there could be blank and I could still sell it. So you got to be... <laughs> Right, you got to be that. And actually, I thought of that. I thought about maybe I should try something like that. It was done, Kate. You'll appreciate this. It was done by a guy who titled the book uh, "Everything Men I know. know About Women." And it was blank, and it was a bestseller. This guy made a fortune. There wasn't a page in there that you remember that book, Sean. I do. I do. I do. Oh my as soon gosh. As you brought it up. Yeah, the fact okay. that I know that book and you know that book tells us both like that guy made a fortune. Yeah, <laughs> that yep. is hilarious. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. So Sean and I have this conversation a lot because we started this podcast, right? It's called Create for No Reason. And the, the whole concept was around 
being creative for creative sake, like just doing things just for the fun of it, not because you want to monetize it, not because it's going to get you somewhere, but literally just for fun, right? Dance, sing, take an improv class, learn a, learn the piano, whatever. And we have this conversation all the time because it's almost like so many of the people that we talk to, somehow it turns into a monetization mm -hmm. conversation or, hey, this is going to be good for my business. So what are your thoughts around doing things just for fun? Like, do you need that in your life to be creative? Both. It's both. So, so if I go to a museum or if I go, let's say we're getting ready to start a new project and I go to the source of Addison Meisner's inspiration. So I don't, I don't copy Addison Meisner. I want to know where he learned. So I'll go to the South or no, actually he was Italy. I'll go to Italy. And I'll go to the Riviera and I'll study, I'll look at his architect or the architecture that influenced him, which is purely creative. I'll take that trip. I'll go to a museum. I'll go to a junkyard. I love going to junkyards and looking at like hundreds of crashed up old cars because from that experience, I then am exercising that right brain. Like I'm continuing to reignite, refire, rebuild my synapses on the right side. Then I will come back because I do want to put it to work, Kate. So in the moment, and again, talk about being present. And, and when I'm in the junkyard or I'm in Italy or France or I'm in the museum, I'm there in the moment just appreciating what's there. I'm not thinking, oh, I better get back and write this down so I can design a better house. But it makes it so much easier when the time comes to write a new book or design a new house because of the time I spent in the junkyard. Do you have a, like in that same vein, Frank, do you have any kind of a, do you have any kind of a daily practice that, or, or something that you do, or what is your, what does your routine look like that allows you to, to keep that space open, that creative brain open that, 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 um, or keep the, uh, I want to say like sharpens the saw. It's not quite even that creativity is different than that, but is there something that you do every day or that you recommend other people do? every day or every week that, that you come back to almost like instead of a yoga practice, instead of going out for those double runs on the weekend, like what's something, what's something you do to kind of keeps you going uh, in, in that regard? I do the exact opposite of what I see most of society doing, because if I'm doing everything else that society's doing, I'm not being creative. I'm not tapping in. So, so I don't have a big circle of friends. I chose to work out of a treehouse because I believe you need an environment that draws out creativity and ingenuity. I got rid of my main office 12 years ago. People that work for me work from home. I don't, I don't need to be around people to do that. So, so one of the reasons, like Kate mentioned being at the gym, one of the reasons I love running and I, I get up like this morning, I got up at like 345, I hit the road by 420, I did my six miles and I'm back. The time that I'm running on A1A, when nobody else is out there, I can run right down the middle of A1A all the way down to Highland Beach and back, is when the most creative ideas come to me. Because I'm alone, nobody else in society is around me, I'm not influenced by any outside factors but the environment I'm running in, the endorphins are being released, and some of the most intricate, interesting designs we've come up with came when I was on that road. So those four ingredients, nobody's around me. I'm not complying, conforming, or having to adhere to society. I'm releasing endorphins and I'm taking in the sensory input that I'm getting. That's my routine. That's where I make sure that I stay, even at my age, relative and relatively creative. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that kids? It's all about environment. No, I love, I, lo I love that. They, they've, we've seen that uh, with stem cells, you can take the exact same stem cells, exact same, like structurally the exact same, put them into two different environments and they grow differently. And like you, you've taken, you work out of a tree house, you hit that road. You like, I, I love that you said that. Like if everybody else is doing it, like environment and where we decide to place ourselves has an extraordinary effect on our creativity. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to, this, I didn't want people to think, I mean, there's enough comments about his eccentricity. Listen, there, here's the thing about eccentricity. <laughs> <laughs> too, my brain's going too fast now. So the first thought I had was I was going to post a picture 
because I create the own, my own color for my own hair. And on my sink was like six different tubs of color. And I thought, okay, this is how I'm being creative this morning. I'm going to take a picture of that. And I'm going to put it up. I thought, no, that, that's just a little too weird. Like who, who is going to, but now the world's heard about it. Maybe, maybe I'll share that. I'll share the picture of you and me, Kate, when you had a blue wig on. I still have that on my phone. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, the color, the creativity, the difference between the eccentric and the lunatic. There's only one difference between an eccentric and a lunatic. <laughs> what do you think it is? It has nothing to do with hair color. Because I have met my fair share of both in the houses that I sell to these people. You would think if you judged the book by the cover, this guy or woman is an absolute lunatic. But he's eccentric or she's eccentric because the eccentric has money. <laughs> has no money. So if you have no money you, and you act the way I, I would act or some of the people I've sold you act, you are a freaking raving lunatic. But because you get a pass, because you've got some money. And if you look at some of the people you look up to, like, I don't know, uh, Steve Jobs or, or Elon Musk. If oh, yeah. Elon Musk wasn't as brilliant as he is and you met him at a bar or something. He's a lunatic. You'd push your chair away. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That is 100%. so great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's spot on. Oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> Frank, out of everything that you've done, you, you, you've had this very interesting career and life. And are you, what is one project that you're most proud of that you just loved working on? Well, unequivocally, all of us want to, all of us want immortality and all of us want a legacy. The second chapter of my book, Aspire, asked the question, what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? It's a really important question. And to help you get there, I have you answer the first question. It's not the title of the chapter, but it's in the chapter. Who do you aspire to emulate? Who do you aspire to put your footprints in to kind of copy what they've done? Not copy, sample parts of their DNA and absorb them into yours. Mm -hmm. Which leads to what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? Mm -hmm. It can be a beautiful herb garden. It can be oceanfront mansions, but, but Kate, the mansions I've built and designed in 20 years will be rubble. And in less time than that, people will forget the grand unveilings and the theatrics that we bring to our, you know, our show. The thing I'm most proud of, and I know that the legacy will last for generations, is the 29 self-sustaining villages we've built in Haiti over the last 19 years and the 13,000 children that were eating, if this was a, a, a hamburger, it's really in Haiti, it's dirt flavored with bouillon and lemon juice. So the children were eating mud flavored with lemon juice. Now 13,000 plus of them have a self-sustaining existence because of, because of our Caring House Project Foundation. That project, it's in the name of the foundation, has been one of the things that has evolved, the creativity, I will say, has evolved that from the very first little village in, in 2000, um, what was it, 2002, so next year we, we celebrate our 20th anniversary, to what we're building today. That to me, like I don't feel better about what I do over there. I, it's not a, a matter of trading a good feeling for building a village. It's a stewardship, it's a responsibility, and it's a calling that if I didn't implement it, I think I would be wasting a gift that was given to me in a sinful way. So when we go there, people say, oh, don't you feel good about what you're doing? I don't feel any better. I don't feel any worse. It's just part of my DNA now. And I think that part of what project I'm most proud of would, would, be, would be your answer. Uh. It's so beautiful, Frank. It's such a, it's so remarkable what you've been able to build. And 
and the impact that you've had and, and even just being able to impact other people and getting involved in that, in, in, in helping. And your daughter runs your, your organization, correct? She's on the board. On the board. And she just, to give her a little plug, she just started her own company in New York city, moved to New York city at the height of COVID out of Penn state, where she was the student body president of 46,000 kids moved to Penn, moved to uh, New York City, Manhattan, and started her own company called Stratabrand, which is a cool name, where she is a branding and a PR person. Her own company at 23. It's really Ugh. cool. Well, you're her dad, so, oh, that's Stratabrand. Awesome. Yeah. I, I like it. it. <laughs> you're proud, proud dad. That's amazing. Well, look, she, it's, it's, she had a great father to learn from and mentor to learn from. So, um, all right, well, Frank, what, who do you aspire to emulate? Good. So it's in the book. Um, there were five people that helped form my DNA. And by the way, when you, when you aspire to emulate someone, <clears throat> they don't have to be real people. So growing up, I aspired to be Willy Wonka. Yes. I remember I was eight years old when that movie came out, the first one. And Everything about him, when I'm asked by like very prestigious business magazines or shows, what's the best business book you ever read? It was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Actually, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Because of the marketing brilliance of that man. Talk about eccentricity, a little bit of lunacy, intrigue, exclusivity equals frenzy. Look at the golden ticket. So I wanted to create the same thing around my houses. I wanted a frenzy where I would put on the show and our grand unveilings are legendary, but then I'm just the opening act. I get out of the way and the true show starts when you walk in the front door of that house. And if you remember the movie, all the fun happened when he opened the door to the chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. So Willy Wonka was one. Another one, I remember growing up in the woods, the backwoods of Indiana was Robin Hood. I thought Robin Hood was the coolest character because he stole from the rich and gave to the poor and got to shoot bows and arrows and wear tight little pants and cool outfits. <laughs> <laughs> so I be, I get to be a modern day Robin Hood. Like I get to sell to the rich, although at $3,000 a square foot, some people think we steal from them and then take the money and give to the poor. I aspire to be like Rich DeVos, who was one of my main mentors in life for 20 some years. Uh, who else was on that list? Oh, I, growing up with music, I remember David Lee Roth for his bombastic frontman oh, yeah. style. There was nothing oh, like yeah. him. And when I saw that, I thought I, I would sample some of that frontman essence of, of David Lee Roth. I'm missing one other one in there, but basically there's four mm-hmm. that, oh, how can I forget this one? He's my favorite of all. Evil Knievel. <laughs> Evil Knievel. Now, for those young people, you got to learn about this guy because master of self-promotion, bravado, fearless, could stare in a camera and make you believe every word he was saying. <laughs> and he monetized the, the, that gift of putting his life on the line, broke 70 some bones. But I, I remember watching all his jumps, not just his jumps, but how he commanded mm-hmm. the people in front of him. So I sampled all those people, little pieces, kind of stitched them into my own DNA. And that's, that's who you see today. I totally I see it. I, so do I. I see every single one of them. That's right? Fantastic. Yeah. So that's, that's fun, though, right? If, if everybody listening to this, if you haven't already, go back to childhood and, and slow forward, not fast forward to today, and think about people that you might want to emulate that will help you answer the question, what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? It's not too late. It's not too late at all. I'm always looking for new people to emulate. And that those were though they were at the early stage of my life, except for Rich DeVos was a little bit later. And uh, I'm just so like Rich taught me that there was such a thing as a spiritual highest calling. He was what the 65th richest man in the world. 
And I came to him at a time when I was super depressed. I had just sold the most expensive spec house in Palm Beach County at the time. This was like 20 years ago, longer than that, for I think it was 14 million bucks. But Kate and Sean, I had lost all the heart in my soul. Mm. I, it was all about putting more cars in my garage and clothes in my closet and food in my pantry. I was a materialistic and consumeristic asshole. And, I, and it was Rich who said, Frank, you know, you can only eat so much food, wear so many clothes, drive so many cars. And this guy had planes and all that other stuff. He was a multi-billionaire. So it made sense, right? In, in proportion, he was using what he had and he was giving away, you know, a ton of money. And him, him showing me that we all have a spiritual highest calling and being able to dovetail the two together, like my professional highest calling, selling houses to the rich so I can build houses for the poor. I'm a linear thinker. I have a 1.8 GPA. It was very simple for me to understand, Frank, you have this gift for selling people houses they don't even need. Take the proceeds, get other people excited about it by donating to your caring house and go build villages in the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. That I learned from Rich. Mm. Oh my gosh. Frank, I feel like we could talk to you all day and you'll have to come back because I feel like you just are, you, you, you have such an interesting mind and I feel like there's so many directions we can take it before we let you go. I just have one more question that I want to ask. Um, what is your definition of creativity? Hmm. My definition of creativity would be I mean, I live it. I, I, I don't, I don't dream in color. I make reality colorful. And that is something I'm, I'm proudest of like creativity at the root of everything I do, something, it must be done in a way that hadn't been done before. And so a lot of people mistake that for ego and, you know, actually, there's a whole chapter about healthy ego. We'll go into I, We got to come back when this is out. Okay? Yes. It comes out yes. on a level and I can go deeper into it. But yeah, I mean, I don't dream in color. I make reality co colorful. And without creativity, Kate, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be talking. Right. We just. We we might as well get a lobotomy. Right. It, it, it just like that's everything to everybody listening to this you too especially because you recognize it and i hope that this podcast helps other people refire the synapses of the right side of the brain to understand that that that's where it's at mm -hmm. the left side is the business side we'll get that but the creative side is where the living takes place yeah ah uh, well speaking of that we always like to ask our guests to share one thing something very simple. It takes five minutes or less that our listeners can do that will just spark their creativity. Just anything that they can do. That's just five minutes or less to just. Okay. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is not a shameless plug, although I'm going to plug it. The difference between motivation, inspiration, and aspiration and why I titled this book aspire. Anybody can do this. And if you can't do it until you recognize it, motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap at night when you're in the shower. So if, if Sean and, and Kate and I did a, a poor job, we motivated you because you'll forget about everything we've said. Quit beating yourself up over the fact that you can't stay motivated to stay on a diet or go to the gym or go to church or save money. We as human beings aren't wired to stay motivated. So motivation off the body, down the drain with a soap at night, every single night. That's liberating and a bummer at the same time. Mm -hmm. Inspiration. Frank, what about inspiration? Your podcast was so inspiring. I failed you. Kate failed you. Sean failed you. Because inspiration is kind of like a sunburn. It lasts a little bit longer. Think about reading an inspirational book or watching an inspirational movie. It stays with you for a while, but eventually like a sunburn, it wears off and it's gone. It's aspiration that will alter your DNA and allow you to create that reality for yourself that you haven't created yet. It's aspiration. To me, an aspiration is like a Fabergé 
box instead of Fabergé egg. They are sacred. In my many years on earth, I've only aspired to five things in life. Be a best-selling author when I didn't have a 1.8 GPA. Be a real estate artist. Run a charity in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Run the toughest foot race in the world 12 times. Well, it wasn't 12 times. I just want to do it once. And have a family that I can be proud of because I really didn't have one of those growing up. Those are aspirational because when you identify an aspiration, motivation and inspiration can kind of ignite those things, but you can't rely on them. So those are sacred. I'm not, I'm not motivated or inspired to get up and train every day, Sean. I'm not inspired to go to the job site every single day, but I never lose the aspiration to be the real estate artist or the ultra runner or the, the author. So, so remember that and, and, and start to identify things in your life that you aspire to for getting motivation and quit beating yourself up over the fact that you can't stay inspired. Love it. Oh my gosh, Frank. All right. So everyone needs to grab a copy of Aspire. We're going to do this again. Ooh, maybe next time we, I can be with you and we'll just have Sean on the call, but I'll come to your treehouse. Come to the treehouse. <laughs> and in the meantime, please have you guys and your, your listeners and viewers, theaspirebook.com. Theaspirebook.com. You can get copies there. It'll be on Amazon very shortly. I just finished 17 and a half straight hours of recording the Audible version, actually right here in Delray Beach. Oh, it was brutal. I mean, I, I didn't do it consecutively, but I did it in four days. It, it, was, it was the hardest mental exercise I've had to do. So, wow. Theaspirebook.com. Learn about it. Get a sample chapter. And last, Kate, every single book provides 200 meals in one of our orphanages. I make no money from the sale of our books. That's how we have funded 29 villages in 19 years. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Frank, you're so awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It was so good to see you. Nice to see you again, Kate and Sean. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Wonderful meeting you, Frank. Yeah. Sure like I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I love what we got. So you're, you're an amazing man. I'm really impressed with what you're doing. Thanks, Sean. Thanks guys. So yeah. Isn't he amazing? Yeah. Frank. I mean, no, Listen, maybe there's only one guest that I didn't like, and I won't tell you who it was, but I've loved all of the guests. Frank, you're, you might be up there on top. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like when he talks about like that, he's so, oh my goodness. I think part of that's like a part of that's recovery. It's purpose. It's the philosophy, the fact that he's read, that he's read DeMello, which I have not met a lot of people that have read. And DeMello, like, saved my life. I mean, that's another, like, I've got an, I've got an Albert Camus tattoo on my arm. I would get a DeMello tattoo um, somewhere on me. Um, and then he's got this whole- Oh, we should have asked him if, he, if he's read The Myth of Sisyphus. Oh, my bad. I think- All of that tied then to David Lee Roth and this rocker- look and feel and spectacle and Willy Wonka and all that type of stuff. Like um, um, a pleasure. And partly because he's so self-aware of this, 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 this line that you walk between eccentric, being eccentric and being a lunatic. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, listen, Kate, he was the perfect get a lot of you, a lot of you don't know this and Kate might make me cut this out, but Kate and I even fight a little bit about the create for no reason versus reason type of stuff. And the thing is, I think we agree with each other on the way that it works. But then I'm like, no, let's get, I don't know, some Buddhist that paints watercolors every day and never (laughs) shares them with anybody. And Kate's Kate's like, let's get Tony Robbins. And so we've got to like, we're like trying to find this other ground and to be honest i think i think frank was it i mean a really really great uh i think personification or 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 example or amplification of the way of the things that we're both passionate about being listen if you if if you if you if you got if you got nothing 
or you're not happy or you're struggling or you're anxious or whatever it is, making anything will make you feel better. It just, it just will. But in the process of doing that, it also opens up these other ways to exist in the world. I mean, you, you do, you do have to eat. I mean, and what better way to eat than by, than by making or doing something that you actually love or enjoy. But the only way we find those things that we love or enjoy is not by forcing ourselves or creating a lot of shoulds. Like I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's when we give ourselves the opportunity to create something for no goddamn reason in the world. We're just going <laughs> to do it because, because we love it or we see, saw somebody else did it and we thought it was cool. And so now we're going to do it, but not because we want to be rich or famous or whatever. It's just because, uh, because we, because we want to do it. We want to do it for the pure joy of it. And then guess what? Like it's creative process and routine and sticking with it and finding purpose. I love that. Like what he talks about when he talks about um, aspire um, the book sounds fantastic. I'm really interested in, in reading the book, but aspire comes back to that purpose led life, like very, um, very Victor Frankl, very, you know, Jungian archetype prototype philosophic. Frank, I'm just saying all these things. So you'll think that I'm smart. Uh, oh my gosh so that we can be friends and and I want to romance know. and the bromance begins I know I want to know the purple hair color uh, all right you need to combination. okay I'm relax. done okay I'm done all right oh, we're oh. done Frank is amazing check out his book get the book aspire and I love those questions right what who do you aspire to emulate and what legacy do you aspire to leave behind I love that and thank you. Hey, I aspire to leave the legacy of our great podcast that people will listen to when we're gone. Maybe, right? I don't know. But hopefully, yeah. if you like this podcast, please like it. And well, I shouldn't say that. You just have to subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe to the podcast and write a review. Yeah. Write a review. And yeah, if you happen to be on the fun socials, then you can share it on social media and let us know what you like from the show. What piece, you know, what what resonated with you. That would be amazing. And we will see you next time. And scene. And scene. <laughs>